Hey, welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you've learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. So four decisions, that's where we've been this month, trying to challenge you to make four strategic decisions that will launch you into a better year this year, a better new year. And this topic today, I'm really excited about, live courageously above fear. That's the challenge we're going to get after in a moment. But before we do that, let me just say next Sunday, you don't want to miss the last week in this teaching series because we saved the best for last. It's a topic that I feel like if you'll make a decision on, it will radically change your life. It will impact you and give back to you over and over again as you make a change in your life. And we're going we're gonna to get into that next week, just a little sneak peek, but it's going to be an awesome week. But uh, this, this week, let me just tell you, this, this idea of courage, you have no idea how much it impacts your life. You probably don't day-to-day think about how much it impacts your life, but I think that a lot of people limit the life that God wants them to live without realizing it. They're, they're running from things, hiding from things, freezing up. They're not living free, not living bold, not living with joy and peace because they're living in fear. Well, there's a lot of kinds of fear. Maybe there's some healthy fears of, you know, things that can hurt you. <laughs> you know, uh, my friend and brother-in-law, Brent Dongel, was here uh, this first service this morning, and he, he's in town for the weekend, and he, he's a venture buddy I told you about last week, uh, my wife's younger brother, and uh, we've been skydiving, we've been bungee jumping together, we've had a lot of fun adventures. Well, I wanted to share one of those with you. It's a time that he was in a missionary in New Zealand, and he went bungee jumping off the Auckland Bridge. So check this out. Now, how many of you would love to do something like that? That looks fun, like jumping off the bridge, dipping your head in the water. How many of you would never in your life do something like that? Okay, so like a lot of you are saying, no way. Did, you, did your hands get a little, your palms get a little sweaty? Did, did your heart start beating a little faster right then? You watch that? You know, so that, that feeling that you get, you know, maybe that's a healthy fear, but the feeling that you get and you, you kind of freeze up inside, a lot of people live like that without even realizing it. 
they have this fear inside them and, and they, never, they never experience the adventure of life that God wants to bring their way. The, the enemy steals peace from them. They, they live in worry. They, they don't have the joy that they should have. They don't, they don't live the life that they, they should in the sense of helping others live better lives. They don't make the difference for Christ they could. They don't, they don't share their faith in the way that they could and live for Jesus and, and, and really live the life that God wants because of fear. Some people limit themselves because they don't, they don't live with that boldness, that power. They don't take initiative. And, and courage is something that will really drastically change your life, your relationships, your future, if you'll walk in the courage that God has for you. But interestingly, as we talk about overcoming fear to live courageously, we're not going to really talk a lot about being afraid and about fears. We really focus our attention on courage because they say that courage is fear that said its prayers. So, so we're going we're to talk about courage because courage, more than fear, is going to help you live the life that God has planned for you. And, and we're going to do that, interestingly, through talking about a story of a miraculous healing that happened in the Bible. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, there's this amazing story about a man who God divinely uh, entered his life through some of his close followers, and his life was forever changed. And I hope that your life today is forever changed, and that you start walking in courage, that you make that decision after this message today. So let's get after it in in Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Let me pause there for a second. So a Jewish workday would be considered 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And the really devout Jews, they would have these, these pauses that they would make throughout the day for prayer time every three hours. So at, at 9 a.m., at 12 noon, and at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so they're going up to the temple at, at 3 in the afternoon. At verse 2, it says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So the, the temple gate called Beautiful, it, the, the court of the Gentiles outside the temple was the largest of the courts because the Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, anyone can go in there to worship, to learn, just to sightsee. It was the busiest, most crowded court outside of God's temple. And so he's begging there uh, for money because he can't work. He's begging for, for income. And this was, you know, this, this was the actual spot, you know, when we read about Jesus overturning the, the, the money changers' tables. He was angry that they're selling stuff and trying to make money out of people in the temple. And so that was where that likely happened in this court of the Gentiles. And this gate that he's begging at, this very crowded, busy place, is, is where this whole situation is going down. And I, I just want to point out a couple things before we go on in this story. One, it says that every day, this, this man was there begging. It says, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. Every day. You know, he consistently showed up and hoped that God would do some kind of work in his life through people's generosity because he couldn't work. And, and he was there every day. And, you know, one of the things I like about this is that he had a practical, tangible need, and he knew where to go. He knew to go find those who believe in God because they would be kind and generous and they would help him. And you heard the ladies up here talking earlier about, you know, I think a lot of us are aware of it's the, making the headlines all over the news that our government's shut down and you got the two different political sides and everybody's heated about this. And, and we're trying our, our best to completely distance ourselves from either side. You know, we're not trying to take any political side here. We're just simply saying we were made aware actually just recently someone in our church is actually going without a paycheck. Their job's impacted and some of their coworkers are like, wow, man, there's probably people in our church that are impacted directly or indirectly from this. And then we started thinking broader, like, man, there's there probably people that maybe unrelated to that, maybe they're going through a job transition and they're, they're struggling to put food on the table. 
And, and so we thought, man, we got, we got people here that want to be God's church. Let's be the church. And so if you have a need, I hope you'll find Kelsey afterwards. Find me. Find one of us. Let us know if there's a, a legitimate need we can help with. We'd love to. And then for the rest of us, let's think about next week. Let's, let's bring some, some food, some, some gift cards, whatever it is. If you'd like to help, talk to one of us afterwards. But let's, let's be the church. Right on? Come on, that's, that's good stuff. So, um, but he knew, this guy knew where to go to get help. He's like, I'm going to go around the believers, and I'm going to be around them. What I also noticed is that there's, there's two phrases here that, to me, are, are very connected. It says, every day, and then it says one day. So we're going to read about how this man was healed, but it begins, the first two words of chapter 3, one day. One day. And the reason why one day this guy's life was changed is because he was there every day. And you never know when the one day is that's going to be your someday that God's going to change your life. And this guy's here on one day, and Peter and John happened to be there on that one day, and God happened to show up on that one day. Now, God was providing for him every day, and he was providing the food that he needed through people's generosity. But on one day, God was going to show up and do something beyond what he imagined. And I I put it this way in your teaching notes. Write this down. One decision could cause any day to be your one day. One decision could cause any day to be your one day. You know, you never know when God's going to show up. And we've been challenging people into this new year to be a part of the under seven club. And we're challenging you to miss less than seven Sundays of the 52 this year. To be consistent, to be here every day. Every day we gather to worship saying, I'm going to show up. I don't want to be sick sometimes. I know I'm going to be on vacation. But, but whenever I'm in town, I'm going to just make it a priority. I'm building my schedule around worship. And God's people have always done this. Let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing Hebrews. Like, let's, let's, let's just gather and worship because we believe that any one day, today, could be your day, that, that thing in your life that's held back. Maybe it's a decision to live courageously, to live more boldly for Christ, to rise above some fear that's crippling you. You never know when the one day is going to be your one day. So I think this consistency is important, but not just gathering for worship, everyday meeting with Jesus personally, time alone with God and his word. You never know when that one day is. He's just going to show up in, a, in an extraordinary way. Now, every day we believe that you meet with God, is, that's going to be powerful, but but getting in his word every day, you know, maybe pulling up a Bible app as you're on your way into work or listening to some worship music on, on the way in and praying. I mean, that, that just can change your day. And any one day, I love this, it puts me on the edge of my seat because I'm thinking, wow, today could be my day. Today could be the day that God does something new in my life, something fresh in my spirit. Today could be your day. Think about that. Why not today? You're going to wait 10 years? You're going to wait three? Why, why not today be the day that God changes your life? And if you're begging for it every day and you're seeking God and you're saying, God, I want to grow. I want to experience that next level of your presence. I want to I get closer to you. I want to live more like Jesus. I want to leave sinful ways behind me. Why not today be that day? And it's, I love that about God is that in a moment he can show up. In a moment he can change everything. And I just love that we follow a miraculous, miracle-working God. Well, this guy, he was paralyzed physically. And thank God, you know, the that you have the health to even be here today. You could be laid out in a hospital bed, and you're not. And for sure, there's people in this room that have pains, that have struggles, that might have challenges physically and all that. But, but we can be here, and we thank God for whatever health we do have, and we ask for his help and his mercy in the areas we need help in. But we're just thankful that we're here. And, and, and although that we could talk about some physical challenges, I don't want to talk about a physical paralysis that this guy had. I want to talk about the paralysis of fear that probably grips a lot of the people that are sitting here. You might have the health to be in the room today and to walk in here, but you, you probably have a paralysis of fear you don't realize in your heart that's crippling you from actually walking in joy, walking in the freedom that God has for you. And I want, I want to see God set some people free from that today. 
I want to see some people live more courageously for God and, and live for Him in a, in a bold way in this world. Well, I'm going to go on and read a little bit more of this story down in verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So he's asking everybody for money. He's begging, doing his thing. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by his hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and his ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Like, God, we've known this guy. Like, what's going on? Mind blown. Verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John, like he's, thank you so much. Like, I don't know what you did, but thank you. That was amazing. He's grabbing onto them. It says, all the people were astonished. And they came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Astonished. We talked about that word uh, recently. And uh, one of the guys in our church, he came up to me and said, you know, that's my word for the year. I heard you teach on that. And like, that's going to be my word for 2019. Astonished. I want to be astonished by God. I want to live so close to him. I'm astonished. And I was thinking, you know what? I want that to be our word for our church this year. That it's an astonishing year. That God does immeasurably more than what we can imagine. That lives are transformed in Jesus' name. That he sets people free and that he fills people with hope and purpose. I want this to be a year of astonishment. We see God do so much more in our lives than what we can even imagine. And, you know, I think a lot of people, though, are living for lesser things. This, this guy's begging him for money, and Peter comes up to him and he says, silver or gold I don't have, so the thing you're asking for, I'm not going to give you, but I'm going to give you something better. And I think God loves to do that, because you're probably praying about some things right now. But I would contend that if you're like the average Christian, you're probably praying for lesser things to a greater God. So God's greater than what you realize, and your prayers, what you're praying, and what you're asking for, what you're begging God for, is actually probably a lesser thing. And it might be a immediate thing. It might be important. I'm not minimizing what you're asking for, but, but God's like, I can even do more than that. Like, whatever you're asking for, I can do more. And this guy's begging for silver or gold. Why? Why? Why, is he, why does he have that need? It's because the root issue is he can't work to earn money for himself. So every day he's depending on others to give him money so that he can feed himself. God's like, I got something better. This man ends up being healed so that he can work, so he doesn't need to beg anymore. God wanted to completely change his life. What if what you're asking for is far less than what God wants to deliver into your life? What if through faith, what if through trusting in God, you could see God do immeasurably more this year than what you're even imagining? What if your limitation is here in your mind? It's fear. This fear, well, I don't, I don't know, that's, that's too much for me. That's, that might be too much for God. That's a bigger request to ask. I don't know if I should ask God that. We're talking about the God who created the world, the God who healed lame people and caused the blind to see. It's like, I don't know, that's kind of a big thing to ask God. I don't want to inconvenience God. God's like, come on, give me a challenge. It's like, I want to do more. You know, sometimes we just settle for so much less. I was at Chick-fil-A. Um, just doing some message writing and, and research, and, and, and I was there, just had a little Chick-fil-A sandwich and a water, and I, I went up to get my water refilled at the counter. And I, I walked up uh, to this lady to help me, and you know, the, when I first got my food, yeah, thank you for helping me, and they always say, what do they say at Chick-fil-A? My pleasure, right? <laughs> yeah, my, my pleasure. Well, when I went to get my refill of my water, they, this, she took her time, she filled it up, you know, uh, slid it back over the counter, but instead of saying my pleasure, she just kind of said it, and it was kind of, I don't know, it felt a little awkward to me, but she's like, 
pleasure. <laughs> she, she, she took out the my. She's just, pleasure. <laughs> I don't really know what to say because it's like, it's kind of weird. It's like, pleasure. So I just, okay, thank you. And I just walked away. And I kind of suppressed laughter as I'm walking back to my seat. Like, pleasure? So that was like filled with pleasure for you, huh? Like, it's just like, oh, pleasure. That felt great. It's like, you know, I, I see Brent like jumping off this bridge. Like, to me, that would give me pleasure. Something epic and exciting. There's a lot of things in life that can bring pleasure. But like, it wouldn't, I wouldn't think sliding a little plastic cup across the counter would be pleasure. Like, it's just, it was, I, I couldn't help but laugh in that moment. But I was thinking about it. And like, you know what? Some people, I think that we kind of do that in life. It's like, we got our little world going, our little life, our little prayers. We could do our little thing. And like, it's like, oh God, if you could just, Man, that would just be so much pleasure. It would be so much joy if you could just kind of answer this prayer. If I could just kind of have that thing, if I could just do that, if I could just get here, then, oh, God, it would be so great. And God's like, really? I mean, that's, that's all you're asking me for? I'm a God that can bring overflowing into your life. I, I'm a God that created the oceans. And you're this little cup of, like, that's all you want? I can do so much more. I'm the God that can part the sea. I mean, I can do so much more than you imagine. And I, I just wonder if, if some of us today are, are crippled by our fears and we're, we're limiting. We're limiting. We can't limit God, but we're limiting them in our own lives because we're, we're afraid. We're afraid to step out, ask for more, do more, see God do more in our heart and our lives. What, what's God's intention? Man, how, do you, how do you know God has more, I mean, for us? And, and I think it's a great question. And I see in Proverbs 16, verse 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures at your right hand. Fill me with joy, all from your presence. God, you got more for me. I mean, I just, I love that. God wants to fill your cup to overflowing. You know, this, this crowd, if you look back in verse 11, here, Acts 3, it says that uh, what this man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished. They were astonished. They were, they were blown away. Their faith was stretched. They, they started to, to think bigger, and I, I think that's what I want for our church, is to dream a little bigger, for us to take risks for God, to expect Jesus to show up, to, to say, God, I want you to do more in my life and in my heart. I want to I be closer to you. I want to walk with you this year. I want to step out into the deep and not fear the storm. Jesus, I want you to do the miraculous, and even the, the little daily miracles. I want to see them. I, I want to see your kindness, and I want to praise you for it, and I want to see your provision and your grace and your love. I just want to walk in that. I want to be astonished. I want to be astonished, and I love it. it says that they were astonished. And then, and then it goes on right after this. There's a whole crowd's gathered. You know, there's, they're in this, this, this uh, courtyard outside the temple. There's a lot happening, and, and excitement, right? And Peter's right in the midst of it. He's the one that God used. It was God's divine miracle that happened, and he's in the center of it. So he's got all this attention. Why would, why would God allow him to be a part of this? Well, part of his, the reason was because he had the character, to, you'll see in verse 12, to, to, to point the praise to God. He says, when Peter, he saw this, everybody astonished, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? I mean, you can see his face. This is Peter who walked on water with Jesus. This is Peter who saw Jesus after he was raised to life. This is Peter who saw Jesus do so many amazing things when he was walking the earth. And he's like, this shouldn't surprise you. He did greater things than this. And he said, he said, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Peter boldly says, wasn't about me. It was God. See, he knew where the real power and authority came from, and he had the humility to know that God works powerfully through those who trust him and walk in his presence, and, and, and it was God's power. It was God's victory. 
So when God does great things in your life, come and worship and give God the praise. Don't let pride steal the interior joy from when God does great things in your life because you think, well, I did this. Well, God may have used you, but it was give God the credit. Give him the praise. And, and Peter says it wasn't, it wasn't us that did it. It was God. And it's, this is important. We're talking about courage, Brandon. Why does this matter when we're talking about courage? It, it, it makes a world difference. This is the heart of what we're going after today. So you would think that to be courageous, you should be more confident. I can do it. I could try harder. I can, I can just step up, just be a little more bold. I'm gonna, all right, tomorrow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. You'll fail. Eventually you'll fail. You might be able to do a little better than whatever you're doing now, but, but you, you're going to come up against some limitations that are bigger than you. The root of real courage for the Christian is not being more confident in yourself. It's actually being more humble. Humility is the root of courage that people overlook because the dependency on God, a, a trust in Him, is what actually gives you courage because you recognize that a problem or an opportunity could be bigger than you, but it's never bigger than God. He's always with me, and He's always greater. See, I put it this way in your teaching notes. Humility and dependence on God are my foundation for real courage. That's how I'm going to get real courage. That's how I'm going to really live the life God wants me to live is I trust in God. I'm going to be dependent on him. And humility saying it's not about me just being more confident. It's to me to understand where power comes from, where authority comes from. It comes from God. And God's power is greater than any power I'm coming up against in life. So I'd explain it this way. So in my life, you know, we think sometimes life's all about our world, but really our world's pretty small when you consider the vastness of the world God created. And, you know, sometimes you come up against an opportunity or a problem, and you're faced with the reality that, man, this is bigger than me. And you kind of you feel small in comparison. And the name of that problem might be cancer. The name of that problem could be a divorce, the name of that problem could be lacking a job and I can't find one and we're going to get kicked out of our home. And we, you know, the name of that problem, it could take a lot of different names. It could be an opportunity, a new promotion, but I don't know if I can do it. I think God wants me to go back to school and I may get my degree, but it's bigger than me. I don't know. You know, see, there's a lot of things in our life, let's call them problems, that are bigger than us and it helps us see where we are. And what a lot of people do is they start staring at that problem. And they can't see past it, and it induces fear. It holds them back, and they never take the step. They never get beyond it. They live this crippling fear in their life because this problem is bigger than they are, and they've recognized there's a truth in life that there are some things that are bigger than us. Death, for example, is bigger than us. It will conquer all of us in the sense of that our flesh will die physically. So it's bigger. And then some people get faced with that, and they realize, wow, I, I, I didn't realize it, you know, and it's just being a little more confident, you know, learning some tips and tricks. There's a lot of people that can help you in the world how to just live more confidently and just think positively. Like, that's not helping in this situation. It's, this is bigger than me. So, so how do you have courage in the face of things that are bigger than you? Well, there's one, only one way I know, and it's the best way, and it's full of joy and peace. And, 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 and that's, that's to look, instead of looking at your problem, you look right over the head of your problem, and you look to your provider. And you say, I'm not going to look at my problems. I'm not going to obsess every day about my problem and how hard it is and, and all this stuff that's in front of me. Instead, I'm going to look above it and I'm going to look at God, who is much greater than my problem. And if you'll start waking up every day and obsessing over Jesus, 
instead of over that problem in your life, you'll see things start to change. If you start thinking about God instead of about that problem, you'll see things really radically change in your life. You'll see courage form. You'll see boldness form. You'll see God do more in your life when you start to trust him instead of being living in fear of that problem. So we look beyond the problem and we look to our provider because God is greater than whatever thing I come up against in my life. You know, I think this brings up a good question. We talk about, we talk about fear. We talk about trusting in God. The Bible says a lot to fear God. And that's kind of an interesting proposition to fear God, right? And I had someone in our church write me not, not long ago. They, they sent me an email. And they said, Brandon, you know, I keep, I keep reading about how I'm supposed to fear God. And it's all over in the Bible, fear God. But I don't understand, why am I supposed to be afraid? God is loving and merciful. He forgives me when I stray. He welcomes me back with open arms every time, as you have stated. He's like a loving parent. He said, the ultimate father. They went on and wrote, and they said, God's love for me is unconditional, so why, why would I or why should I be fearful of a loving father? It's a great question. They wrote, I, I, get, I get being fearful of disappointing God or consequences of my actions when I stray, but I don't understand when the Bible tells me to fear God, and does God want me to live in fear of him? And if he does, uh, in what way? Am I, am I being too literal? Man, what a great question. And we had a good dialogue, but I thought, man, this deserves a, a larger context because there are probably other people who have read that and wondered, well, I'm supposed to live courageously. I'm supposed to not fear, but then it tells me to fear God. So is that a contradiction? What does that mean? And, and I think that a greater understanding will help you see the consistency of it all. See, see, the fear of God that Scripture is talking about, to the best of my understanding, is that the fear of God is a healthy respect and awe in a reverence for the ultimate power, the ultimate authority of God. That God is, is, is so powerful and so strong, and he is powerful to punish for sin. He is powerful even to discipline his children. He's, the, the wrath of God will be poured out one day on all those who reject him. And, and God is a, a powerful and just judge. And I think that, that a lot of times people don't realize that, that the power that God has is expressed through his, in a lot of ways, his justice, that God is a just God. So when we recognize our sin, we realize how far that we've strayed from God. We recognize that, that God is all-powerful, that we're not. That puts us in a precarious position because we see how great God is and we see that gap between us. And if you're not a believer, that gap can be a good thing. And I think that's part of the reason why it's included in Scripture is that, is that it produces a healthy fear, respect, and uh, an awe, reverence of God. Okay, you're, you're powerful. You're in control. Now, that shouldn't be our, our greatest motivation. Our greatest motivation is love, not fear. But it's a, it's a check. It also leads to wisdom, this, this understanding of the, the sinlessness, perfection, amazing power of God. Um, it, it leads to wisdom. Let me just read one verse on this, Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want wisdom in your life, you want knowledge in your life, you have to begin. The foundation is to understand and respect the fear of God. Why is that? Why is that the beginning of wisdom? It's because the ultimate form of not fearing God is to dismiss God. It's lacking fear of God. Well, I'm just going to live my life. I'm not worried if there's a God or I don't believe that there's a God. That's foolishness because the Bible says one day every one of us, our knees will, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. One day we'll see God in all his glory 
and it will drop us to our knees. Like everybody, believers, non-believers, everybody will be there. There's a judgment day coming and God and all his power will be expressed and seen visibly. And that's, that's a day of, of, of incredible worship for those of us who believe. But those who didn't believe and rejected God, it's a day where there will be a real fear in their life. They'll see God in, in, in his power. And that kind of fear of God leads to knowledge because it puts everything in life in the right context. God and who he is and his power and us and where we are. And, but how do I fear God without being afraid of God? Because as, as a non-believer, that makes sense. But as a Christian, does that mean I should still fear judgment day? Like, am I going to be judged? Should I fear? Do I get into heaven or not? Should I worry about that? Like, how do I know? And, um, you know, I was kind of thinking about this, and I was imagining how there's probably some who live in fear of a judge. And I was thinking of a time that I had an experience with a judge. I was late teens, early 20s. Uh, one of those unforgettable experiences I'll never be able to, to forget. A time that there was a lot of fear in my life. I had got a traffic ticket and I had a friend say, well, you know what, if you show up to the court and the officer that gave you the ticket doesn't show up on that day, then, then you can get out of it. You don't have to pay it. So I'm a young man thinking, well, I'd love to not pay this $100 ticket. So I show up on the court day that's on my ticket and my citation, and I'm sitting there in the back of the courtroom thinking, okay, it's going to take five minutes. Hopefully that dude doesn't show up, and I can get out, and then I'll just try to drive better. You know, that's kind of my thinking. And someone was ahead of me, and uh, they had been driving on a suspended license. And the judge hears this person tell their sob story and why I was doing it, and please, you know, just take it easy on me and all that stuff. And the judge says, okay, well, here's what's going to happen. You can't drive for a long time, and you're going to go to jail for 30 days. And as soon as he said, you're going to go to jail for 30 days, like fear gripped my heart. Like, whoa, I didn't even know that was an option. Like, I was thinking get out of $100. I didn't think about being worse. Like, what if he puts me in jail? Like, what if he tries to teach me a lesson? Like, even like one day, like, that's going to be a big deal. I'm, I'm studying to be a pastor. Like, this could ruin everything. You know, like, what, what's going to happen? You know, I'm thinking all this stuff. And, 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 the, and the judge finally calls my name up there, and I'm just terrified at this point. I'm just like, my knees are shaking. I, I just want to get out of that courtroom. He's like, all right, sir, what's the issue? I'm like, I just, I just want to pay my $100. And he's like, well, you can go out in the hallway. The clerk, I'm like, thank you, sir. We'll see you later. It's like, thank you, God. I paid the $100. I'm out of there. Like, totally redefine my respect for this judge, you know, what he was capable of. And I was in his hands. And, and, and I think that there's this, this healthy fear in a sense of like, man, God, you, you're the judge. You have the power to determine. And God, you are over all things. But as a Christian, though, what's helpful for me is to know that that judge is on my side. He loves me so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for me to pay my judgment. See, judgment's used in two ways in the Bible. One, that there's this, this God that, that judges, and there's a judgment, there's a, there's a, a judgment day. He'll be, he'll be a judge, and he'll separate those who followed him and, and who, those who rejected him. There's a heaven and a hell. The Bible's really clear on all that, and there'll be a judgment but there's also a judgment in the sense of like, if you picture it like a, a fine, a, a penalty, the wages of sin is death. The wages, the, the price, the, the result of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So there's a judgment for our sin. But it goes on to say in, in Romans that the gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christ paid your judgment for you. So you don't have to live in fear of, well, I get in heaven, what does God think? See, Maybe, if, maybe your fear is a fear of death, a fear of God's judgment. If you're a believer, you, you, I hope you'll be set free from that fear today. Like you have a father that loves you. You don't have to live in fear of that. You're his, you're his child. And, and I came across this verse, I think the first time I remember reading it was in high school, and it, it helped me so much. I was kind of wrestling with some of this stuff. 
And in 1 John chapter 4, I came across this, you know, can I know I'm, I'm saved? Can I know I'm God's? And how do you know that? And, and, and I came across these verses, and it was so powerful. I want to share it with you. Verse 13 of 1 John 4. It says, this is how we know. And I think the first time I read that, I'm like, I can know? I can have certainty? I can have confidence? This is how we know that we live in him and that he, he is in us. He has given us his spirit. His spirit's inside of us. And, and, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So, so God sent Jesus to, be the, to take my judgment, to take the penalty for my sin. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, that's how you access it. God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So it's a relationship. Verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence. There it is. We'll have confidence on the day of judgment. So there's going to be a day of judgment. And this is written to believers. It's written to the church. There's going to be a day of judgment. But you don't have to fear the day of judgment because your personal judgment has already been taken through Christ when you receive him. This is amazing. So he says, in this world we are like Jesus. There's no fear. No fear. There it is. If you've been living in fear, no fear. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Not to fear God's punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Man, isn't that so good? So you as a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you've confessed your sins to him, if you've received him into your life, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear punishment. You don't have to fear God's judgment because Jesus has taken it for you. As believers, we gotta always keep coming back to that and keep reminding us, no, it's not about what I've done. It's about what Jesus has done for me. That gives me such peace and such joy. I can know. I can have confidence. I don't have to worry about judgment because Jesus has taken my personal judgment. Well, this story is, man, it's so powerful uh, in the healing. But I, I actually really think that there's some interesting things that happen right after the healing that we don't want to finish this message without hitting. And it's, it's in chapter 4. And, it, and it's, it's really interesting. See, this, this, this crowd is gathered around. They're astonished. They're amazed. They know this guy. They see him every day. He's healed. Verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come to Peter and John while they're speaking to the people. So these, these three groups of people show up. You have the priests, of course, in the temple, and then you have the captain of the temple guard. So they, these guys, their job was to be the right hand to the, the priests. And any time that there was a disruption, mob, just whatever's happening, it's like the, the captain of the temple guard and the temple police show up, and they, their job is to kind of squelch any riots or any problems. They're kind of making sure that the temple is run well. And then the Sadducees show up. Now, the Sadducees show up. They're not happy with Peter and John. They, they arrest these guys. The reason why they're not happy is for a couple reasons. One, they're, they're preaching the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in the afterlife. The Sadducees don't. That's probably why they're sad. <laughs> they don't believe in the afterlife. You feel me on that? I thought that was pretty good. Well, they, they, don't, they don't believe in the afterlife, so they don't like that these guys are preaching in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. But also, they're of the aristocratic upper class. They have a lot of influence and a lot of affluence. And that's put at jeopardy every time that there's some kind of event like this because they fear these apostles, these disciples are talking about Jesus creating this movement, this church is spreading. There's going to be an upheaval of the, of the system that is, and they like the system because they were benefiting from it. This smaller group of these wealthy, privileged people, these, these Sadducees, they, they liked it because they had a good relationship with the Romans. Right? The Romans were pretty tolerant. They kind of let them do their own thing within their kingdom. But they were merciless on anybody who would cause like riots, public disturbances. So they did not want the Romans coming in because there's some big riot or something happening because of this healing, because of this Jesus guy. So they want to put a stop to that to protect their own interests. 
So they come in in, in in chapter 4, and it says, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John. Because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Just because you have courage and trust in Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to take losses sometimes. They're thrown in jail. They're, they're, they're hitting adversity. It doesn't mean that you're not going to face trials. Well, man, I don't know if I believe anymore. I'm, I'm kind of mad at God because it kind of got hard. Well, look, Jesus went to the cross so that you can have life. Sometimes there's going to be, you're going to take some losses. You're going to take some hits, some sacrifices. But we're okay with those temporary losses because we know what happens in the end. We got victory. So we have courage. We have confidence even when we have setbacks. Even when we face losses, we stay encouraged. And God can even build his church in persecution. God can build his church when there's struggles and trials in your life. He can grow you. Here they're growing in number. 5,000 people being saved. So the, the church is strengthened in two ways. In number, when more people here go and make disciples, baptize them, Jesus says. That's part of the mission. But also, we grow in strength in, in, in our character and our quality and our faith and our understanding of Scripture. So teach them to obey everything I, I have commanded you. So it's, we're reaching out and we're reaching in at the same time. We're doing both, hoping for both. Sometimes you see more of one than the other. But here, they're seeing this expansion even in persecution. God's building His church, and it's, it's a beautiful and powerful thing to see. And, and if you were to read on this story, um, down in verse 12, they're, they're questioning them. They're, they're telling them to, to, they don't want them to preach about this Jesus guy. They're trying to stop all this. And, and, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to them. And, and down in verse 12, he makes it clear. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He, he, he courageously, think about this, courageously puts out the truth of Christ. And how you can be saved and who is the one we should put our trust in, the very one that they just, they just put to death on the cross. That took a tremendous amount of courage. It took boldness. And a lot of times people miss out on God's best for them because they're not walking in courage. And they're worried about what people think about them. And they're, not, they're afraid to stand up for Jesus. They dance around the truth. They don't really bring help to their friends or family because they're, they're not willing to say the hard things. And, and, and they don't have the courage. It's, it's a lack of courage in and we're going to talk about where that courage comes from, but, but that, that courage, it's helpful because if you can mislead people if you hide the part of the truth because you want to make it easier to swallow and you, want to, you kind of want to make it a, a happier situation. You dance around the real truth. Ephesians 4.15 gives us the outline, how we should live as believers. Speak the truth in love. So I put it in your teaching notes. To courageously speak the truth in love, we must do two things. Very simple. One, speak the truth. Here he does it. This is what our world needs to hear. Salvation is found in no one else. That sounds exclusive, because it is. Jesus said it himself in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. So that's kind of a hard truth, and we can kind of dance around it, and I think, uh, you know, some more liberal groups do kind of do this, well, you know, there's probably a lot of ways, and we're just one way, and all that. But that's not really believable, is it? Because if it's choose your own adventure, then where's, where's the truth? If it's really whatever you want, then where's the power in that? But, but you have to literally, I mean, th- this, is, this is not, this is God trying to include everybody, but saying that there is a way. And, and that way is through Christ. And, and, and then you can have it. It's free. I've already paid the price, and you're welcome. Any, anyone can experience this. But there is a way, and, and Peter's presenting this, and, and he's, he's telling them the importance of following Jesus is the only way. And I just wonder how many times you and I, throughout the course of an average year, actually speak the truth. I, I, I wonder if people really know what we believe. I wonder if we take opportunities to share with our friends about our faith. I wonder if we, even in our own families, if we take time to pray together, if it's important to us, not in a weird kind of way, but in a, in a, in a real way to say, you know, this matters. So, you know, Jesus, he's first in my life. And, you know, we're going to, 
We're going to put Christ first, not just in our hearts, but in our conversation. I wonder what would happen if you started sharing your story more with people around you. And I wonder what would happen if you and I started telling people what we believe and if we invested in relationships or if we invited people to come to worship with us. I think, I think if we're a little more courageous, God could do more in our, in our, in our lives, in our community. God wants to do more. Well, there's a second part of this, though. You have to be loving. Because if you speak the truth and you speak it arrogantly, if you speak it in a way that's not uh, loving and generous and kind and forgiving, then you're not going to get the response that they got here. Because although you, you speak the truth, you always do it in love. You do it for the right motivation. It's out of love. It's out of concern and care for others. You always need both. It was John Stott who said that truth without love is too hard. But love without truth is too soft. What side do you err on? Are, are you more a little like hard line, like, you know, this is the truth and we're not wavering from this and, and like, it doesn't matter what you think and I'm just going to shove it down your face. Like, if some people kind of go that way, so what you're going to have to be careful of, don't ever compromise truth, but you have to be careful that you don't get judgmental. You don't get all legalistic on people that you're not understanding and that you're not a listener. It's just about what you want to say. You got to be real careful on that. Churches can lean on that. And you, you maybe have seen that. Some people come to our church and say, man, I had a bad experience. I got burned by this church. They were real like judgmental and hypocritical. And it was about, you know, so you got to be careful of that. But then on the other side, it's just as dangerous. It's all love, whatever you want. It's okay. It doesn't matter if you don't believe this. It doesn't matter if you don't believe that. Let's just kind of love each other and hang out and hold hands and just sing about Jesus. It's like, but there's also a truth. There, there is a way, and there's one way to Christ, and there's consequence if you don't believe. And, and so we got to kind of walk that balance, and we try to be right there in the middle, love and truth combined. And it's not a compromise of, like, I'm just only going to take part truth, part love. It's, it's not just that. It's not half and half. No, it's all love, all truth, all the time. That's what changes lives, and that's what we're about. So... Acts 4.13 is kind of the last verse here I wanted to hit in, in Acts 4. And, and, and I, I think this, to me, is a summary of everything we're talking about today. So telling them not to preach about Jesus and all this. They're facing adversity. But notice their reaction. When they saw the courage, what did they see? What was it? That's good. They saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. So they're like you and me. They're just normal people. They were astonished. There's that word again. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So because they'd been with Jesus, they had a courage. And that courage didn't come from their education. It didn't come from their experience. It didn't come because how good-looking they were, because how amazing they were. It wasn't their own self-confidence. It was a God confidence because they had been with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They were living for him, and so they had this astonishing courage about them. I want you to walk in astonishing courage. People look at your life, and they're like, that doesn't make sense. It's a normal person. I know them, but man, they're living courageously. They're going through a battle right now, and they're not hanging their head low like, oh man, life's horrible. They're saying, you know what? It's all good. I trust in God. Even though I'm going through it, I have hope, and, and it seems like things are falling apart for them, or it's not good, and they're like, it's okay. They got joy, and it's, it's not up and down like the world's happiness and emotion. It's like this steady joy they got peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't get it. I don't have, understand how you could have peace right now. See, that's the astonishment that our world will see in you if you are in Christ. And when you're in Christ and you're walking in him, man, Jesus is going to blow up in your life in a way that you can't even imagine immeasurably more. But you got to stay close to him because notice what it says. The courage came from where? It came from the context of a relationship. Not the religion, not all the things that they did, but out of a relationship. They've been with Jesus. Are you getting with Jesus every day? Are you worshiping Jesus every week? It, it, when you're with Jesus, not a religion, well, I go to church and I pray sometimes. Like, you're walking with Jesus. You're living for him. You're worshiping him, not just in this room, but all throughout the week. He's going to give courage into your life. 
you know, I, I was joking around about the whole Chick-fil-A thing, having some fun with that, but I kind of set you up because I was like, well, how, how much pleasure can there be in serving a cup of water? And, and, and I kind of did that on purpose because I wanted to get to this verse in Acts chapter 9, verse 41, because I think some people feel like they got to do something great for God. i got to be a missionary and move across the ocean to really experience the astonishment of God. And maybe, maybe i got to have a microphone in my hand and be doing something great. Maybe. But, but I would contend that, that the greatest miracles that God does sometimes is through the very small things. Small thing, things done with great love. Verse 41, truly, Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. So you're doing the laundry and running the kids to soccer practice. This doesn't really make a difference. Well, those kids, got you're pouring your life into them. Those kids might go on and change the world, and you think that's a little thing. That might be a miracle in the making. You're you know, kind of going about your job. And what, what if that coworker finds Christ this year because of you, and, you, and you're sitting next to them in service next January, and we're worshiping together, and their hands are raised saying, God, you forgave me of my sin. That's a miracle, and you thought you were just doing your job, but you were a missionary. See, God wants to do more in your life than what you even imagine, but that's only going to happen. You're only going to walk in courage. You're only going to see boldness in your life when you step out, when you walk in faith. And here it is in your notes, the final lesson. My courage flows from his presence. That's where I get my courage. That's how I can walk in faith is when I have the presence of God in my life because I'm with him every day. I'm in his word. It flows out of the presence of God. So in God's presence, I find courage to face my fears. In God's presence, I find courage to overcome worry. In God's presence, I find the courage to defeat the adversity in my life, to win over the struggles. In God's presence, I find courage to seize that opportunity. My courage flows from the presence of God. If you'll make the decision today to live courageously, to live in God's presence, it will change your life. Right on. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.